0: Good evening and welcome to another episode of Boo My Dad Says. My name is John.
1: And I'm Becca.
0: And we are your tour guides through the world of the paranormal.
1: We've got a whole lot of history, a whole lot of mystery, and a whole lot of weird.
0: So sit back, relax, and prepare for a spine-tingling time. Well, good evening. How is everybody tonight?
1: Howdy ho, neighbor Joe.
0: So dear, it was snowy today. It was
1: so pretty. We actually got a snow day today, so I was able to catch up on a few things around the house. Made this yummy ginger chicken soup for supper tonight. Warmed my bones.
0: Well, I wasn't too fond of it, so I made some General So's chicken and... Let's just say it's a lot spicier the kind that you get in the grocery store and put in the microwave than if you go to a Chinese restaurant. I thought my tongue was going to revolt.
1: Well, yeah, I think his face is numb now.
0: Yeah. But and also cleared my sinuses out, so I, I should definitely have no problems breathing during this show.
1: That's good. <laughs>
0: Well, excuse you I
1: know, that was me, I did burp Whoops
0: Hi Swanee, people's manners these days
1: Mm, Good help's hard Mm -hmm. to find
0: (laughs) So, this week, we're going to be starting a three-part series Wait, wait, wait wait
1: a second What episode are we on, and what's this show?
0: They heard the show name in the uh, intro
1: But don't we need to say that this is episode five of season two?
0: Well, I was gonna be getting to that, I thought. Oh, but...
1: I jumped the gun. Lo siento.
0: <laughs> Anyways, it is episode five of season two, and we're gonna be starting a three part series on everybody's favorite, most haunted city in America. New Orleans, Louisiana.
1: Now's
0: yeah, as we like to say, New Orleans. And uh I I have to say I've I've never been to New Orleans. Well, okay, there's an asterisk by that. I kind of slept my way into New Orleans. Uh, Back in uh, 1999, I had joined the Air National Guard and I had went and done my boot camp at Lackland in Texas. And uh, I went to Keesler Air Force Base for my tech school. Well, it happens that my tech school fell like right during Christmas. So we all got to take like two weeks of leave And go home. So my flight back home was out of New Orleans, and I fell asleep on the bus getting there. And then, you know, so basically, I just woke up and didn't really see anything. I just woke up, saw the airport, got on my plane, and flew home for Christmas. So that's my that's my New Orleans story, and I'm sticking to it.
1: I have never sat foot awake or asleep in New Orleans, so you've got one on me.
0: So, before we get started tonight, though, I want to uh, talk about our Facebook group, and I really would like to uh, get all you listeners out there to join up and, you know, become active participants in the group so we can have some really great discussions between episodes where we can maybe share some ideas and, you know, just get to know one another a little bit more on a personal level. And the way you get to our Facebook group is if you go to facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash boo, my dad says, and boo, there you go.
1: There you go. (laughs) That's like a very, very used quote in our house from my big fat Greek wedding.
0: Yeah. Put some Windex on it.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Give me a word, any word, and I'll show you how that word comes from the Greek. Kimono. Kim, something, 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 mon, no. It's from that Greek. I don't remember that. There you go. And there you go.
0: All right. Anyways, I digress. We're, uh, we're kind of in a light, happy mood tonight. And uh, also, guys, if you would like to help support the show, we have signed up with a service called buymeacoffee.com. And it's a service that you can use that if you want to make a one time donation to the show. And it's buymeacoffee.com slash says, And you can make a one-time donation to the show, and uh, that will go to buying Rebecca a new chair down here in the studio.
1: Can we get a hallelujah? I was thinking like an actual coffee too, but whatevs. I could go for a chair.
0: Yeah, we had to bring a chair from the upstairs down here to let her sit in tonight because the chair that she had been sitting in,
1: it was daggone making my legs numb.
0: Yeah. You know, and her making butt me twitch my microphone.
1: Off. And I got in trouble last week for all the moving around of my microphone. So we had to kibosh that.
0: Well, if you had to do the editing too, you'd be, <laughs> you'd be a little more understanding. Pish posh. <laughs> so, anyways, let's get started with our New Orleans history.
1: So New Orleans has quite a varied and rich history. It kind of reminds me of Charleston and the fact of so much of it remains even through all the floods and the catastrophes and the hurricanes that have, has hit it. No other city in America has kept its history as vital and as accessible as New Orleans has. As you walk through the court, as you walk through the quarters, as you walk through the grid, of how the city was originally laid out years and years ago, so much of that history is still just seeped in everywhere you look, everything you taste, all the people you talk to. The indigenous people, they called it Balbancha, which meant the land of many tongues, because it had such a vast and varied What's the word? Um, culture, culture, culture. I mean, as far as its history, as far as how the the Native American people, who of course were there first, the French had it for a long time. Then the Spanish had it. Then when you get to, <clears throat> excuse me, then when you get to the Louisiana Purchase in 1803, the United States purchased it as part of a 15 million dollar deal. It was no longer a French colony, technically, but the residents in the new American city of New Orleans held on to their French ways, including the language, the religion, the customs, their belief system, their foods, so much they did hold dear to them that they did not change. The Creoles, the people who were born there locally, they created this sophisticated cosmopolitan society. They created this culture that everything they did was steeped in it from, again, like I said, the food, the music, so much of it just absolutely just encompassed you. So during the first half of the 1800s, it was the United States' wealthiest city, and it was the third largest city. It was a port town. This was really important back then before the railroads came that any produce that was farmed and that was grown inland would come through the great Mississippi River and come out down through the port of New Orleans to be transported to the Caribbean, to South America, and even to Europe. They would use this as the port. This city because of that, saw a great number of out-of-towners, a great number of people from other cultures also coming to visit. The majority of the residents there still, at that time in the 1800s, still spoke French. The, I thought it was really interesting. I never dreamed, I guess I never really thought about it, that people in the Caribbean would need our produce. Obviously, they can grow some things we can't, but we can also grow a lot of things they can't. By the 1870s, um, the again, that, diver, that diverse culture, there was a lot of mixed races. There were blacks, there were whites, there were Native Americans, there were French, there was Spanish, there was everyone. And even then, back then, before the Civil War, the blacks were actually, there were a lot of free blacks that lived in New Orleans at that time. And they were able to hold positions in the community. They were able to work and have jobs. And there were some that were still held as slaves, but for the most part, there were a lot of free blacks in New Orleans as well.
0: I think that's going to tie into actually one of our stories in episode three of this series, the Madame Daphne LaLaurie, I ah, had something stuff. To got do some with, voodoo up in there. With some of the slavery and how and how she treated her slaves, which was uh, some interesting stories there. But we're saving that one for episode three, because that is definitely the climax of the of the uh, series, because it's a very interesting story and a very powerful story.
1: Yeah, so because it was a port town, uh, that flow of goods that would happen between interior of the United States and the rest of the world and vice versa, it attracted smugglers and pirates and all sort of unsavory folk would be in the area. The most infinite, infinite, let's try that again. The most infamous person was Jean Lafayette and his brother Pierre. They were instrumental in allowing, even though they were pirates, they helped the Americans get their victory over the Battle of New Orleans in 1815. The tradition holds that Lafitte's, maybe it's Lafitte, blacksmith shop and 941 Bourbon Street served as the pirates' base, probably dating to the 1770s, said to be the oldest structure housing a bar in the United States. This blacksmith shop is picturesque relic of, uni- of colonial era vernacular architecture and is still a popular saloon today. So, even though pirates are bad guys, there were some that were good. Now we've all heard of Mardi Gras. Mardi Gras, as it was first, re- yeah, we don't celebrate Mardi Gras, but oh. <laughs> we've all heard of it. Um, in the present day United States, it was first recorded that it was celebrated in March of 1699. It was set up as the Midwinter Feast at, at Point de Mardi Gras. After that, the French colonists celebrated Mardi Gras in Mobile and following its founding in 1718 in New Orleans, mostly in the form of public festivity, private costumed balls. It remained a raucous but mainly an informal affair until 1857 when this mystic crew of Colmas introduce the formal parades and the floats and all these society, social organizations that would come out to celebrate this. They called it the pre-Lenten feast, the greatest free show on earth.
0: So what about the voodoo?
1: So as far as the voodoo, I want to talk about one more thing before we get to the voodoo. Um, because of the music, the music was such a big part, that New Orleans jazz. It It... Brings, I mean, I hear it in a movie. I see a clip of something and I hear that, and I automatically, I'm like, I've never been in New Orleans, but I hear it and I automatically think that that jazz age in New Orleans also saw that rise of that literary community, that artistic community, the music, even the art, even the local artisans who would create pottery and clothing or weaving, they wrote plays. Even the famed Tennessee playwright, Tennessee Williams, took inspiration from the rattle-trap streetcar that ran down Bourbon Street. And that is where he penned his 1947 masterpiece, A Streetcar Named Desire. So we have a little bit wow. of that from New Orleans. So, I didn't
0: know that about New Orleans. Now, I knew there was a couple of movies there, like Interview with a Vampire. That was one of the big movies that was done in New Orleans. And I think it, well, it's actually locale the stories locale than new orleans also
1: yeah um so new orleans of course was also made pretty famous because of the of hurricane katrina in 2005 we all probably remember that uh, when that came through
0: i actually have a story about hurricane katrina and it's another air force story believe it or not i was down in biloxi mississippi uh, for a training school with the Air Force. And when I left, I left coming home from Biloxi on Friday afternoon uh, before Katrina hit. And nobody down there was doing anything. I mean, it was just like another day at the office when I left. And then come around, you know, Monday, that Following Monday, just after that weekend there, Katrina hit and that whole area just got absolutely blasted.
1: Yeah, it was it was wild. I remember we had just gotten married that summer and there was a possibility he was going to get called up uh, to go in the guard. He got put on alert that he may have to go and work down there for a while. He didn't end up having to go, but I remember it very vividly.
0: I went after um, Hurricane Rita about a month or two later.
1: That's right, in October.
0: Yeah, in October. Um,
1: But yeah, for that first initial one, I remember it. It's it's almost, I kind of feel like that a little bit, kind of like I remember, maybe it's just because I was newly married. I was starting a new job. It was Labor Day weekend. I remember gas got really expensive really fast. Um, I remember remember a lot about it. Um, But anyway, getting back to New Orleans. So, of course, the voodoo. One of the things that New Orleans is best known for is the voodoo. I called the witch doctor and this is what he said. Anyway, uh, but yeah, like that voodoo, it really is. It has been popularized, it has been commercialized in this past half century, century, but voodoo's roots in New Orleans are deep. There are priests and priestesses that still practice. The religion, the actual religion of voodoo that came from the city, um, that came to the city from Africa and from the islands. The most important feast day of voodoo is St. John's Eve on June 23rd. So a couple of the things um, that that voodoo, it's, it was really interesting. I was reading through this. They have a deep respect and a deep worship of ancestors. Maintaining that close family bond was really important to them. In Haiti, the practitioners of voodoo believe that the spirits of the dead are trapped in the earth for a year and a day. They pray for their departed loved ones. They have ceremonies that mark the end of that year and a half period and when they can live again. Outside of Africa, Christian and Catholic imagery and rituals blend with voodoo. Practitioners masked their real worship by displaying outward signs of Christianity. So they would pretend, they would go to Mass, they would do all of this, but then they would also practice in some of the the rituals of the voodoo. So one of the main aspects of the Louisiana voodoo, the New Orleans voodoo, that makes it unique from the other strains is the reliance on the priests and priestesses who were regarded as the heads of the community by the families practicing it. And this is where we get into Marie Laveau. Is that how we say it? Laveau? Anyway, she's got a a title, but Marie Laveau. She, um, She was one of the priestesses that we'll get into later. I found it very interesting, too, as far as in New Orleans, Congo Square is what served as the gathering place for the enslaved Africans. It was a place reserved for the African traditions and expression of culture. Hundreds of people would form together for drum circles and for ceremonies. And even today, according to the research I did, if you go down to Congo Square, you can still see people participating and leading in some of these ceremonies. They had what they had. We all think of like the little voodoo dolls when you would put pins in them. And I actually read something about that um, where they had like a, the anti-voodoo was hoodoo. And so the hoodoo <laughs> dolls, and it was interesting. <laughs> Why are you laughing at me? No, um, it's just
0: funny. i just like voodoo and hoodoo. Voodoo it's and a... hoodoo. It
1: was the anti-voodoo. But of course, we think about voodoo, you would stick pins in your enemy. Well... Voodoo was very much a religion of curses, of revenge, of coming after, of, of making it right. If something's been made, you know, if something's wrong, of fixing it, making it right. Well, the hoodoos they also had like the little dolls, like similar to the voodoo dolls, except that it was to give blessings to people. So it was kind of the, kind of the an- the the anti-voodoo. Um, and I may I'm, I'm gonna try to research a little bit more about that, but I thought that was really interesting. Um, the other thing was the gri gri is what they would keep. That's what was one of their like artifacts, one of their mystical objects. I guess I don't know an artifact. I guess is the best name for it, but it was a, oftentimes it was a little pouch, and it was where you would hold. Whatever other sacred object you had, that gree gree, it's it looks like griss gris, but it's gree gree. Um, but that gree gree would be often used to. Um, there I go. Use my um. So sorry, dear. I get in trouble for my um. Um um. But anyhow, the the gree gree definitely played a big part in their rituals, and in their belief system. New Orleans, to this day, is a city rich in culture, proud people, historic neighborhoods. It has thrived against the odds, even when Hurricane Katrina hit. So many people had to evacuate, and about 80% of those people were able to make it back. So,
0: Well, you know, the amazing thing is the New Orleans is like one of those few cities that actually sits below sea level. So, that's why when a uh, hurricane comes through, you know, it gets blasted so hard is because it's located below sea level. So, when that storm surge comes in, you know, that whole town is flooded. And, And also, that's one of the reasons, because it's below sea level, that there's no really, like, hard ground for anything. So, they have to bury their dead above ground. In mausoleums So speaking of the dead let, Let's move into why New Orleans Seems to be so haunted Because from I, Two or three different sources That I looked at has, has Pretty much overwhelmingly said That New Orleans is the most haunted city In the US And after reading some of the things that I have I, I believe it It's I mean I thought Charleston was pretty haunted in the fact that I had to do two episodes on it. But there's enough stuff that we're doing three episodes on New Orleans. But let's, let's start off with one of the more, I guess, the more traditional reasons why New Orleans wa- is believed to be so haunted. And that was they had a major yellow fever epidemic Running from, from about 1817 to 1905, and is perhaps one of the most gruesome taboos ever to unfold in New Orleans. And it took place during this epidemic, and it had several different peaks during that century. It peaked in, <laughs> in 1853 one that was one of the peaks and there were 7,849 deaths in New Orleans. Wow. In 1858 there was 4,845 deaths. And in 1878 there was 4,046 deaths. And that's all according to the New Orleans Public Library. All in all for the from 1817 to 1905 there was 41,000 souls that would lose their lives to yellow fever in the 19th and early 20th century. The mosquito-borne virus, uh, which is a member of the, I'm going to probably butcher this, the, the flaviviridae family, ravaged the population of immigrants new to the city in particular. Individuals became infected when they were bitten by the mosquito carrying the virus So it was easy for multiple members of a household to succumb to the disease. It came with headaches, muscle soreness, fever, jaundice, hence the name yellow fever, and then was followed by liver and kidney failure, hemorrhaging, seizures, coma, and death. That just about about hits about every major issue you can have in one disease there. Yellow fever cases peaked during the warmer months when mosquitoes were most active and for years, families who had the means to flee during the summers would do so. So during the, during the worst epidemics, most, and this is like a pretty wild statistic right here. Just think about this. One out of every 10 people who stayed behind would die.
1: That's quite a, that quite is a, a staggering 10%. statistic. 10%. 10%. 10%. That,
0: um, that's pretty wild. In 1853, more than 1,000 people died each week. That's we'll let that sink in for just a second.
1: Read that again. <laughs>
0: yeah. In 1853, more than 1,000 people died each week. Obviously, civil services were not equipped to deal with mass deaths on that magnitude. But they did what they could. Uh, This is is a very grim picture, but it's definitely, it fits with the theme here. Each day, corpse wagons circled the neighborhoods with drivers calling, Bring out your dead. Then mass graves lined the city's perimeter. Fortunately, in the early 20th century, scientists figured out how to control mosquito populations. And, ha- and they did that by limiting their breeding grounds. And they would um, control the disease. New Orleans joined forces to close their cisterns, drain stagnant pools, and create underground sewage systems. After 1905, yellow fever never again ravaged the Crescent City. But it still exists in other parts of the world.
1: That's amazing that something so simple as just controlling the mosquito population can can have such a big effect on mankind.
0: So another theory, and now we're getting more into the paranormal aspects, and there is a theory that ghosts can't cross water. You know, you have some things backing that up through ancient Greek mythology, and there's actually even there's even some tie-in to there's some verses in the bible that people think that may tie into that same same theory but and we'll we'll read that here in a moment but we'll start off with the ancient greek mythology uh, the ancient greeks believed that when that the dead could not cross a body of water for the greeks the river styx existed just for this purpose, to keep the people who went down in the underworld with Hades uh, from crossing back over into, I guess, the overworld. And down in Hades, the domain of the underworld, the river Styx, segregated the land of the living from the land of the dead. Within ancient Greek mythology, the deceased spirit could not pass over the river Styx unless they paid a fee to Charon. The ferryman. If it was the right fee, then off you went across the river into the underworld. On the other hand, if the fee given was not correct, Charon banned you to wander the banks of the river Styx for all eternity. So I guess your spirit would stay around on the uh, on the other side and not go to. Uh, let's see, I'm trying to remember my Percy Jackson. The here, fields of
1: Asphodel, the or the fields of Elysium, Elysium, yeah. and And then just Hades, right?
0: Yeah.
1: Or no, Hades was the god. Well,
0: let's see. Then there was, uh, oh, what was the pit? The Tartarus. Tartarus. Tartarus, yeah.
1: Percy Jackson's. here we go, bringing some literature in for you this week.
0: (laughs) Maybe we really do need to have that literature (laughs) podcast. (laughs) This could be totally taken out of context. And then the Bible says in Matthew chapter 12, verse 43, it reads, Within, when the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places seeking rest and finding none. Matthew, what? Matthew chapter twelve, verse forty-three, and like I said, that could be taken out of some context because you sometimes you just you can't take just one verse out of the Bible. You need to kind of take the verses before and after to understand context. So.
1: Definitely. That's something I would have to, I think I'll look into that this week and and see, because I'm curious about that.
0: But in some ways it fits if you think about, you know, in the Catholic, um, with Catholic religion, you know, the use of holy water is used, you know, like in exorcisms and things like that, because uh, (laughs) uh, I think she's getting ready to get up and go upstairs, ladies and and gentlemen. And y'all
1: have a great night. (laughs) I don't do exorcisms.
0: All right, but moving back to this theory of ghosts can't cross water, this suggests that it's not that ghosts can't cross water, but rather that water often holds entities that would do them harm. Because negative energies were unable to find a place to stay on dry land, they made themselves at home within the water. Ghosts would thus be unwilling to cross it in the worry that they would end up as food for a demonic entity.
1: Well, snacky snack.
0: Yeah, if you if you look at New Orleans and with, it, with that idea in mind, New Orleans is very surrounded by water. I mean, it's almost like it's in a bowl. You've got the I think Lake Pontchartrain just a little bit to the north. You've got the Gulf of Mexico oh. southern tip. You've got the Mississippi River on your west. So the only real dry land, and I mean, I'd have to look at a, ma- look at a map to kind of see how it is. But it's a, it's a pretty soggy area. Now, the next theory that is out there, and then this is going way above my head into, uh, you know, I may have, you may have to get Sheldon from the Big Bang Theory to explain this one. Oh, no. <laughs> but we're getting into string theory. So, we're going to get pretty scientific here uh, because we're going to be discussing the endless possibilities of string theory. So, string theory theorizes that there might be 11 dimensions instead of the usual four.
1: Sweet Jehoshaphat. Eleven <laughs> dimensions? Yeah.
0: The usual four. I can't four. keep up
1: with my one dimension.
0: <laughs> uh, well, yeah, actually, you're keeping up with four. uh uh-uh.
1: mm, I'm just on technically. one. Technically.
0: Because uh, the, dim- the four standard dimensions is height, width, length, and time. Oh, dear.
1: I don't know that I'm on all those four all the time.
0: <laughs> I, I'm definitely
1: I, not on time. I was going to say that. You
0: cut me off. Shut your face. It.
1: So uh. I, it's the joke this week. We had a two-hour delay yesterday, and I'm still late with two extra hours. It is redonkadonk.
0: <laughs> so back to the string theory. It is possible that the ghostly plane also exists on the earthly plane, which explains the randomness of paranormal activity. Countless of scientists have argued variations of thre- string theory. If one uh, one person said, "If string theory is true, if there are infinite universes and infinite possibilities, what if spirits are bleeding into our dimension?"
1: So, are they saying that they're still alive in another dimension? Uh, possibly. And or that they died in another dimension and that they're just...
0: But it's more like the uh, the, the ghost dimension is, is another dimension, but there's... So there's, there's 12
1: a, dimensions.
0: I don't know. Explains like, and we're going to go up and hit Gettysburg for a second. String theory, possibly an explanation for residual energy. In Gettysburg, for example, there are, con- there are countless reports about ghostly soldiers... Which have been spotted only chest high, weeding through the ground. It's relatively well known that the soil level during the 1860s was much lower than it is now, which could explain why we see these spirits only from their chests up.
1: Hmm. Erosion. We're getting into some science, too.
0: Well, I wouldn't say erosion. I mean, it's. The soil? Well, it's it's deeper than it was.
1: Extra erosion.
0: And then going back to voodoo and other occult practices that uh, is practiced in New Orleans. I mean, you've got, you know, like voodoo, witchcraft, belief in vampires. You know, there are several. Team Edward.
1: <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Again, the literary. My bad. Although some people wouldn't really consider Twilight literary. Whatevs. It was a fun teeny bopper book. Go ahead.
0: I kind of enjoyed the movies. I mean, they're fun to watch if you're there with me.
1: Oh, they're fun to watch. I remember being um, eight and three quarters of a month pregnant with my last child, and I went to see it on opening weekend, and I ran into a lady from our pediatrics office. She's like, I'm going to be seeing you in a few days. And she did. It was like three days later he was born. But yeah, I was there (laughs) with a bunch of teeny boppers, looking like a whale pregnant as a horse. It's good times. (laughs)
0: definitely uh definitely packing a basketball
1: team edward no dude i was a whale don't you remember i was not one of those cute little basketball girls pregnant i look like a friggin' sumo wrestler
0: i still remember that picture of you pregnant with brady and your dad put a basketball under no, his shirt no he put
1: a watermelon under his shirt well, it was a was it a was a watermelon oh. Okay. We look pretty similar.
0: It was it was a fun picture though. There is definitely a lot of reasons New Orleans could be haunted. I could go into even more, but I think that, that's uh for for the sake of time, I think we're gonna move on to a couple of our haunted locations. We're gonna do a couple of cemeteries tonight. But and and we also have a personal listener story that we we can uh that we're going to be doing tonight. I'm actually handing that story to Rebecca right now. There <laughs> I'm getting we go. The, Fresh I'm getting the off stink the press. Eye. I'm getting the stink eye this time.
1: Hot off the press.
0: So the first cemetery that we're going to talk about is the uh, St. Roche Cemetery. And a little bit about the history of St. Roche. It was founded by Reverend P.L. Thevis in 1874 during uh, one of New Orleans' Yellow Fever outbreaks. The uh, patron saint of epidemics is St. Roach. So there you go. There's a little bit of trivia. St. Roach was prayed to and asked to protect the people of New Orleans during this epidemic. When nobody from Reverend, from the Reverend's Church, and we're talking Reverend P.L. Thevis here, died of yellow fever, Thevis found this cemetery as part of his promise to St. Roche. He promised that if St. Roche would keep his people safe, he would build a chapel to St. Roche. This chapel is now inside of St. Roche Cemetery. Now today St. Roche is one of the least visited large cemetery in New Orleans, but any given day you can go there and find yourself pretty much by yourself maybe this is why there is a number of ghosts associated with this cemetery. Ghosts seem to prefer to be left alone sometimes. But we're going to be talking about just two different ghosts. And the first one is a ghost dog. And he's actually possibly the most famous ghost of this cemetery is this ghost dog, which um, another funny story about St. Roche, I wouldn't say funny story, but he's also the patron saint of dogs. There's a
1: patron saint of dogs?
0: yeah. End of epidemics. Oh. Yeah. The ghost dog of St. Roche Cemetery is described as an unnaturally large black dog, and it has been captured in pictures and video. And I'm going to see if I can find some pictures to put up on Facebook of this dog, or maybe even the YouTube video if there's some, if it's out there. Now, a rational person would think that that it's possible that this ghost is simply a stray dog wandering the cemetery. And that is a perfectly valid question. This is being New Orleans, so there's definitely going to be a a twist. People have tried to approach this dog, and they would follow it through the cemetery. And just when the dog is cornered and has no way of getting away, guess what? You got any guesses? No. No. It, Wait, vanishes, oh, it
1: vanishes. Oh, it vanishes. Goes okay. away.
0: Disappears. It. So that that's the story of this ghost of this ghost dog, and it doesn't have a name, from what I can tell.
1: It's not Poochie. Uh, it's
0: not Poochie. Uh, I think we've got the the market cornered on Poochie.
1: Our little Nova bears a Poochie.
0: Yes, my little Nova. She's a she's a sweetheart.
1: She's a nine pound little terror killer dog. <laughs> she's
0: haunted. She's brave for her size. The next spirit of the St. Roche Cemetery is the hooded ghost. Basically, this is just a hooded figure that is seen walking through the cemetery. Now, okay, you could say it it could be anybody dressed in a hood and walking through the cemetery. And you you definitely have a... uh, have a point on your hands being New Orleans you never know maybe the fact that he is seen walking through the walls though will convince you that it's a spirit and not a person dressed in a uh, hooded cape so th- there's not there wasn't much there on the that I found on Saint Roche but now our next cemetery though that uh, that's got quite a bit of things to talk about and this is the the Saint Louis Cemetery number one. So I guess that means there is a number two. So St. Louis Cemetery number one is the oldest extant grave site in New Orleans. Established by Spanish Royal Decree on August the 14th, 1789. Well, that definitely has some age on it. Mm. The uh, St. Louis Cemetery Number 1 remains the oldest cemetery that locals and tourists alike can visit. It's also considered one of the most haunted cemeteries in all of the United States, which makes sense because New Orleans, being the uh, most haunted city in the United States, you would have to think it would have the, one of the most haunted cemeteries as well. The uh, cemetery itself holds 700 tombs and over 100,000 dead.
1: Wow a hundred thousand
0: hundred and still counting wow because this is still an active gravesite for over two hundred years there have been reports of people having run-ins with ghosts in the St Louis cemetery number one even the appearance of the cemetery bolsters the illusions of days gone by and I'm going to post a picture of this cemetery on uh, Facebook for you guys to see because I got to admit, th- this thing is just like right out of a scary movie. I mean, it's a pretty...
1: Oh, wow. Yeah.
0: That is a pretty spooky cemetery. Because as you remember, I mentioned earlier, in New Orleans, you don't bury your dead. You ha- you have to actually build above ground tombs. When you look at the tombs of this cemetery, the age is just very prominently displayed by the character I mean, broken shells and cobblestones that were dredged from Lake Pontchartrain and the Mississippi River form the alleys and just the crumbling, chipped, above-ground crypts that hold the dead. Many of the family tombs bear cryptic symbols as well as signs of vandalism and old age. If you want to have a scary movie, this place is like on the on tops of many movie productions lists for filming. And a couple of the... Uh, pretty well-known movies that were filmed in New Orleans and actually used St. Louis Cemetery Number no. 1 as a set piece was uh, Easy Rider and Interview with the Vampire. Those are probably the two most famous films shot in that cemetery by far. The uh, crumbling appearance is uh, dusted with age. St. Louis Cemetery No. 1 earned the nickname the Cities of the Dead by the famed Arthur Mark Twain. A more appropriate name has never been given, but which ghosts still call St. Louis Number 1. Haunt. Let's talk about some of, some of the more well-known hauntings in this cemetery. And it is Marie Laveau. And she is known as the Voodoo Queen. She was born in 1801. And she would become the most revered and sometimes feared voodoo practitioner in New Orleans history. She practiced fortune telling, the occult, and worked with herbal remedies. I got an oil for that. (laughs) In, In modern times, she would be called a hippie. Hey, hey. There's <laughs> yeah, some truth was, in that,
1: though. Some the of those, herbal
0: remedies there.
1: The At least, yeah, the herbal remedies, not so much the voodoo.
0: Legend has it that she knew all of the secrets of all levels of society. She was li- quite literally the go-to voodoo practitioner in Nor- New Orleans during the 19th century. The ghost of Marie Laveau has been spotted in, m- in many locations throughout the French Quarter, including meandering down the street past her old house at 22 St. Anne Street. And she is most recognizable by her red and white turban tucked around her hair and by the brilliantly colored clothes that she wears. Within the cemetery, individuals have reported seeing the ghost of Marie Laveau walking through the tombs.
1: Oh, for heaven's sakes. That's not good.
0: Well, I mean, I think some of this, you know, has to do, too, with, you know, we've talked about residual hauntings.
1: Mm, and that's true. A
0: lot of times, the when you see something like that walking through something, it's because it's just residual energy replaying itself. Hmm. Because there's no intelligence there. I mean, if there was intelligence to it, they wouldn't be walking through. They would be walking around it.
1: Interest. It's
0: kind of what I'm guessing. Now, perhaps the most interesting of all is the, uh, there's a practice of marking the tomb of Marie Laveau with three X's while asking her for a favor or making a wish. Legend, and it's truly just legend, has it that if the wish is granted, the person is required to return and place a gift at the side of her tomb. Unfortunately, this has led to a lot of vandalism, including two instances where the entire tomb was painted a Pepto-Bismol pink.
1: Oh, for heaven's sakes.
0: The result was the Archdiocese of New Orleans closing the cemetery off to the general public after March of 2015. Today, only people on licensed tours may proceed inside. Visitors have reported all sorts of paranormal happenings while they interact with the now-deceased voodoo queen. Feelings of being touched, becoming extremely ill, and hearing voices emanating from inside the tomb have all been reported.
1: Interesting. I don't know that I'll be taking any of those tours anytime soon. Uh, we did do a ghost tour, a ghost boat tour in Charleston once, and it was fun because it wasn't scary. But if there's, if I'm feeling creepy things and hearing voices, I'm out of there.
0: Our next ghostly inhabitant of uh, Saint Louis Cemetery Number One is the spirit of Henry Vignes, and Vignes, I, Vignes, Vignes. I figured I would probably uh, mispronounce that, even though we sat there and had Google pronouncing it for us a minute ago. The uh, but his story—it's rather a tragic story if you when you look at this though. He was a sailor during the 19th century. And he had no true home to speak of. He was a nomad, kind of like you, dear. Hey, listen,
1: (laughs) I like to move.
0: Anyways, he was a nomad traveling here and there and sailing on the high seas in New Orleans. He made his home at a local boarding house, but he was constantly worried about his important papers while away from the Crescent City. So much so that before departing on another voyage, he would ask the owner of the boarding house to keep his papers if he died. These papers included his family tombs. Well, as you would have it, the uh, owner... Bum, bum,
1: bum.
0: <laughs> the owner of the boarding house was not exactly an honest person. So while Henry was at sea, the owner sold Henry's family tomb.
1: Well, that was a little ridiculous. Why would you sell somebody's graveyard? Their plot?
0: Well, considering that, um you know, everybody is buried above ground, I guess, you know, if it was a good good spot, you know. Mm,
1: interesting.
0: And maybe crypts were not exactly the cheapest thing. And kind of based on what I'm getting ready to read here. Yes, the, the innkeeper... Um, sold his family tomb, and he discovered her treachery when he returned to New Orleans. Poor Henry Vignet uh, was never able to rectify the problem legally or on his own terms. Shortly after his return, he fell ill and died. But as his tomb had been sold, there was no money to build another. Henry's body was thus buried in an unmarked grave, in the pauper section of St. Louis Cemetery number one. It just stinks, you know, not having, your, you know, kind of not being able to be buried in the place you choose. Well, so
1: you're, you're gone, it don't matter. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> well, it, uh, it obviously, Mary uh, mattered to Henry.
1: Apparently, Henry. So was
0: the ghost of Henry is still seen wandering the cemetery. He is described as being a tall man with blue eyes. And he was, and the thing is, he is so corporal that uh, it doesn't appear to visitors that he look that he's a ghost. Hmm. I mean, he is that. I mean, that well defined, that you know, well formed of an apparition. But he would be seen. He could be seen strolling up to tourists, and the apparition would ask if they know where the Vignes tomb is located, for he is having trouble finding it himself. Ah. Allegedly, Henry's ghost has even turned up to funerals, appearing behind the grieving to ask if there might be any more room in the tomb for him.
1: Could this be a really well played actor that's going through the cemetery?
0: I, I don't know. That would be that would be a, a new kind of low for somebody to come up, you know, to a funeral and ask. That it's question. the new millennium. <laughs> <laughs> but his apparition has been caught on camera. And so has the uh, distinct sound of a male's voice on an EVP proclaiming, I need to rest.
1: Hmm. Interesting.
0: So, yeah, I feel bad for poor Henry. Now, our last spirit that we're going to um, be talking about here at St. Louis number one is the uh, ghostly, and here's another one of those words I'm going to have trouble pronouncing Alphonse. A-L-P-H-O-N-S-E.
1: Oh, that sounds close.
0: Yeah, we'll go with it. And like Henry, it seems that the spirit of Alphonse is only hoping to find a place to rest his soul. His spirit has been known to take a visitor's hand in his as he pulls them to a stop. Smiling widely, he asks them to bring him home, but what home is it that he speaks of? That remains unknown, though his apparition has been seen gathering flowers off of other graves and placing the offerings on his tomb. It is thought that Alphonse may have been murdered or betrayed by someone of the the Penide family, for every time a visitor steps near the Penide family tomb, Alphonse appears to warn them to stay away. So, folks, that's going to be our first episode on New Orleans. We do have a personal story that Rebecca is going to read for us. And this is actually a continuation on of the one that was read a, uh, an episode or two ago from that Lynn sit in. She had some more stuff for us. We thought we would put that on the air tonight. As
1: I said in my post before, my mother-in-law was quite active after death. Her death wasn't exactly a huge surprise, but it was a shock nonetheless. While she was alive, she was very interested in all things spirit-related, to include watching those fake TV psychics. Sylvia Brown, John Edward, you get the picture. Well, some time had passed after her death, and I had a dream about her. She was youngish in the dream and looked happy, healthy, and like her old self. I was so shocked because I thought she was gone, and here she was in front of me. Of course, I knew that she was gone, but seeing her again, even in the dream, was shocking. I'm watching her get ready to go out somewhere, and I say to her, I was told you died. She looks at me like I'm crazy and laughs and says, No, baby, I'm just fine, and she laughed. The next time, I had contact with her nearly killed me. The night before, I had a dream about, a meeting, about meeting a family with a grandpa or a father that was a Pentecostal preacher. Well, that meant nothing to me, and I ignored the weird dream. Well, the following day, I was driving around Shiloh, which is very haunted, by the way, and I'm listening to the radio, and her favorite song came on that she would always listen to in the car. I had to sing along to Rogers and Pardon. On the way home, I was just crossing an intersection when I saw a white SUV swerve out of their lane, come into mine, and go off the road. She hit a sign and kept coming. By this time, I'm begging my dad to please not stop yet, go a little further. She eventually comes to a stop about 30 feet from us. She was absolutely flying. Myself being a somewhat first responder, I jump out of the car to go check on her. She's obviously impaired, and talking a mile a minute, I finally get to her. I finally get her to sit back down in her car. I'm letting her talk so I can further evaluate her for impairment. She's telling me all about how she was allegedly in the hospital visiting family, and guess what? Her grandpa, a daggone Pentecostal preacher. My mother-in-law had warned me the night before and got her music on the radio to bring me comfort beforehand on the, with, before the accident. I'm not sure the meaning exactly, but I was absolutely blown away. The police came and took a, her, away her purse and thermos and said that we should leave so I'm not sure what happened after that or if she was actually impaired. All I do know is that my mother-in-law sent a warning to me, and she saved my life.
0: Thank you so much, Lynn, for the uh, stories, and uh, we look forward to getting more from you. We uh, really enjoy hearing uh, about your family, and I hope to hear more from you in the near future. So before we sign off tonight, we've got one more little thing we want to uh, talk about, and that is uh, ratings and reviews. A couple more reviews this week come in, and we are going to be doing a review from Sousa Lutz. Luz. Sousa Luz. Thanks for putting out great content. Love it. And I think that's the only new, uh, new review that we've got this week, but thank you very much. We couldn't do what we do without you listeners, and we appreciate you guys so much.
1: Absolutely. We definitely would love for you guys to rate and review us. It helps our bump up in the podcast world and in the Facebook world, too. It helps us to get um, recognition and traction, and, and we want to get out to as many listeners as we can.
0: Also, I want to give a shout-out to another podcast, and uh, a guy who has really been helping me out uh, lately with ideas and stuff His name is JT You may have seen him on the Facebook group But his podcast is The Paranormal Sun, And he is based out of New Zealand I cannot believe that I actually have a friend now in New Zealand
1: Let's go to New Zealand
0: New Zealand's a lot, a lot like Australia Every animal there tries to kill you though.
1: Perfect
0: <laughs> Well anyways JT if you're listening I love your show and i hope all the listeners of boo my dad says will go out and also subscribe to his podcast because he definitely has some uh, really good stuff he's been doing uh the ufo things over the last couple of weeks where the um you know where the government had to release what they knew about flying saucers as part of, would you believe it or not, as part of the last COVID relief bill, somebody snuck that little uh, nugget in there.
1: Sneaky, sneaky.
0: Yeah. So, guys, I will see you all next week. So, good night and God bless.